so tonight, I just want to share with you for a few moments um, uh, this worship, this message, uh, talking about tonight, God with us. What does that mean, God with us? Those of you who have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, and we're going to talk about God with us, God with us. Now, we gather tonight on this Christmas Eve with anticipation for the young and the old. Some of us are looking forward to see what we might get as a gift on tomorrow. Uh, Certainly our young ones are looking to see what is going to be under that tree. And we have anticipation and hopefully we have joy tonight and love in our hearts. And this is perhaps the one time of year where our expectations of human kindness rise to prayerful and yet even hopeful levels. We see people of goodwill do amazing and wonderful random acts of kindness. From drivers letting other cars into traffic, the people taking shopping carts back inside the store. <laughs> From customers who wait patiently in a long line at the cash register for kind words spoken to the cashier who was doing her best or his best to help people and greet everyone with a big smile. We see kind words spoken to children and their parents. We see donations being made to ministries like the Salvation Army and the hard work that the bell ringers do at this time of year. We see gifts being bought for the giving tree, etc., and the list goes on and on. This is truly a special time of year. Yet for some, for some, the Christmas season brings some degree of burden and difficulty. For many, every Christmas signals the end of another difficult and dismal year in a life that feels empty and mundane. Many people are hurting emotionally, financially, and spiritually during this season of celebration. And while many of us rejoice, <clears throat> they are far, there are far too many, too many people who see little joy in life, let alone in Christmas. For some, their joy was lost in a particularly difficult circumstance, perhaps a divorce or loss of employment, or the death of a loved one. They find it extremely challenging to feel any joy in life in general, but perhaps particularly difficult to feel joyful at this time of year during the Christmas season. These folks watch us lift hands and sing the joys and wonders of our Savior. Perhaps they even are forcing a smile as they witness our joy. 
when all the time hovering in the back of their minds like a dark and ominous cloud on a summer horizon is the question of where is God in the midst of their despair? Where is this king of the universe, this creator and sustainer of all life? Where is this savior of whom we sing? Where is he when I need him the most? I am in the depths of despair, they say, and I am looking for God. I don't know, maybe some of you have been there today. If you have, just throw your hand up real fast. We don't want anybody to see you. Just let them know that you've had those moments. Now, perhaps this has never been your circumstance. Maybe you are incredibly blessed to have always felt a closeness or a nearness to our Lord. On tonight, I wish indeed that I could say that this was true of my life. But honesty says that I must confess that there were times when I longed to know where is God in my trouble. I longed to feel his closeness and the mind-comforting presence of his warm affection in my life. I have had times when I cried out in heartache, God, where are you? Do I have a witness there tonight? But in this one verse, Matthew provides a theological and practical comfort regarding the imminent presence of our God. Most of the time in my longing for him, I really didn't recognize or even know just how near he is. In his account, in his account of the birth of Jesus the Christ, Matthew writes these words in the 23rd verse of the first chapter. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if time would allow tonight, I would tell you all about how Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, who speaks of a sign of God's presence concerning the king Ahaz and of the future Messiah. Time does not present a, permit a detailed theological survey of the prophetic text from which Matthew quotes, but suffice it to say that Isaiah wrote of a coming Messiah who would change forever the dynamics of the God-human relational paradigm. Isaiah knew that sin indeed damaged the relational connection between God and humanity and that the Messiah would restore that 
connection. But God also revealed to Isaiah the manner by which that restoration would indeed occur. Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew gives us detail on Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And and Luke, in his gospel, gives great detail on the angelic visit Mary received that revealed that her divine purpose was to give birth to the Messiah. They are the only two gospels that share this most important story of the birth of Jesus. Yet Matthew sees it as not only relevant to the narrative, but as also important to share this connection to the Isaiah passage with an emphasis given by the parenthetical explanation of what Emmanuel means. Matthew tells us, in essence, that Isaiah foretold of a Messiah who would not only be a human, but also fully God. In other words, God with us. Now, this is no small task for a Jewish audience of Matthew's day to receive. They would have kind of thought like this, God, the most holy high and lifted up, seated above all things, that God with us? See, because of how the Jews conceived God, it would be unlikely to hear them cry out, even as I did at moments in my life on a personal level, where, where is God in my trouble? The Jews conceived God as transcendent or far above them. Even in their connection as God's chosen people, they still kind of saw God as in the distance. Even in his view into the heavenly throne room, Isaiah said, I saw God high and lifted up. With the only exception to this view being the messianic writings in the Bible, When they spoke of God being with them, it tended to be more nationalistic or for a specific need, like winning a battle, like God is with us as we go against our enemies. So Matthew writes that this child, this child born to a virgin is indeed the Messiah. But more than that, he is God with us. Now, just notice for a minute how that rolls off your tongue. Just say it to your neighbor. Say, God with us. Just just listen. God with us. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? God with us. So what does this mean, this God with us? God with us has come not just 
to put his hand on us, not just to say, well done, and give us a pat on the back and push us forward, but he has come to stay. He has come to dwell. He has come to reside with us. Oh, hallelujah. So, so, so God, so God staying with us means this. The first thing it means, it means because God is with us, we are never separated from his love. Somebody ought to just give praise for God right there. That, that's going to set somebody free right tonight. We are never separated from his love. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Look at somebody and say all creation. That's anything that you can think of in the created world. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> so much can separate us from the love of human beings. Amen. You fool around and make somebody mad enough <laughs> and you'll be separated from their love pretty easily. Somebody will drop you like a bad habit. I'm just saying that. I'm just I, I just want to let you know how easy it is to get separated from human beings love. But thanks be to God as Paul is writing here and I feel him getting happy in his spirit. He says, I looked at all these things in the world and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. On my lowest day, Jesus loves me. On my, in my worst moment, Jesus loves me. In the midst and the depths of my sin, hallelujah, Jesus loves me. Now I know why they taught me that song as a little child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Because God came to stay and not just to visit. Humanity has the opportunity to always be connected to his love and to him. Paul writes that nothing in all creation can separate us. Now I want you to know everybody here that's going through something that the enemy is trying to destroy in your life. I want you to know this right now. The devil himself cannot separate us. Because if you read the text... It says nothing in all creation. And because Satan is a created being, I wish I had somebody pay attention to the text today. Because he is a created being, nothing, including the devil, can separate us. Our enemy tells a great lie when he says to you that God does not love you. We're never separated from his love nor from him. 
as members of his family. Paul writes this concerning a God who is with us in Galatians 2 and 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. Note this, note this, Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You cannot get closer to someone than living in them. I can't live in another, but a holy God who gave himself for me and loved me can indeed live in me. Somebody ought to give God some praise. So, so if, you're, if you remain unconvinced, where is he in your darkness? Where is he in the depths of despair? If you are a believer, look at somebody and say, he's in you. He's in you. He's in you. He indeed lives still in me. That's why the songwriter could say these words. He could say, I've seen the lightning flashing and I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice. It came from in here, y'all. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. So God, because he's with us, we're never separated from him or his love. Here's the second thing that happens, because I only really have 15 minutes, but I think I'm, y'all might have to forgive me tonight. I, I feel like preaching tonight. I, the second thing is, is that because God is with us, our darkness becomes light hallelujah oh peter come here i need a witness from you peter writes this in first peter chapter two he says but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him now watch this this is what he did who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light This call to this marvelous light, my brothers and sisters, is not an empty call. It comes with some practical application. That, 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 means, that, that means that when you leave darkness and go into the light, you ought to act like that you walk in the light and not in the darkness. Somebody say, just shake off that darkness right now. Just, just shake it off right now. See, see. Too many of us live in the light or say we're in the light, but we walk like we're in darkness. I didn't come to ruin your Christmas Eve. I'm just telling the truth today. I... See, there's some practical application. It means when we leave the darkness and go to the light, we must love one another. We must lay aside all hate, malice, and evil towards others. Well, I didn't make that up. John, come here. Let me get a witness from you. First John. First John chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still 
Oh, y'all, I didn't make it up. It's right there. Is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. John had already written in his gospel of Jesus as light. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God with us means we walk in the light. So we must choose to walk in the light that he provides by his very presence. Because he's here. Because God is with you. You can't say you're in darkness. If you choose darkness or in darkness, it's because you want to be. That's going to mess you up. That's going to catch up with you later when you get home. You, 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 you actually, because of his presence and because he is light, when you are in Christ, you are in the light. Now, now the fact he's with us brings light. John says this in 1 John 1 and 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That word fellowship in, in the Greek is koinonia. And it means we have a connection, a family, a commonality, a bond with one another. So it doesn't matter what your fellow brother and sister in Christ looks like. We have fellowship if we're walking in the light. Doesn't matter where someone's born. We have fellowship because we walk in the light. If you're in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So because God is with us, we're no longer in darkness. And we walk in light. Now, 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 here's the last thing. Because God is with us, we can accomplish his will for us. We can accomplish his will for us because he is with us, because he is our Emmanuel. And there's one thing that Jesus requires of us that we often neglect. And, and I can go down the list of things that we get, we get right. You know, some of us say, I don't cuss anybody out. I don't mean mug people. I don't yell at them in the car when they can't hear me and they cut me off in traffic. You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do all those things. You have a long list of all the things you don't do. <laughs> but there's one thing that he employed us to do that we often find some difficulty or we often neglect to do. And that is, he has called every one of his children to tell others about his gospel. I knew it wasn't going to be many shouts on that. That's, when you were in line at the store this past week or when you were shopping for your Christmas, how many people did you tell about Jesus? 
when you were looking for that size, that perfect size of your outfit, how many, how many people did you, did you tell about Jesus? Did you, did you say to the clerk, let me tell you a story about a baby born in a manger? Let me tell you a story about a child who grew up and who went to Calvary, who died for our sins and got up for our salvation. How many people did you tell? When you were singing Jingle Bells, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. I mean, wait, wait a minute. I mean, when you were, when you were doing that, you know, I saw mommy kissing Santa. Oh, wait a minute. I can't, can't get with me. When you were doing that, did you think for a moment to tell somebody? To share with them this gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, before Jesus left here in his physical body, he said two things. He said, I'm going to give you a comforter, another comforter, meaning another of the same kind, someone who is going to be with you. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit was to live inside of every believer. But he said before he left, he said something else. Matthew records this in the 28th chapter. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Do not miss those words on earth. Our expectation is for him to have authority in heaven. But how did Jesus get authority on earth? He came here. God with us. He said, I've got all this authority, all this power. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Don't miss that. God with us always. He says, to the end of the age. Now, I've read that many times and it posited in my heart. Lord, why did you put this limitation on you being with us and you said you're with us always, but then you say, to the end of the age. Well, what's the end of the age? And will that mean that you won't be with us? And here's what, here's what I, I believe he's meaning here. He's saying, I'm with you while you are here, while you are fulfilling the purpose of making disciples. You will never lack from my presence. I'll be here to the end of that age. Well, Lord, then what happens? Won't be a need for me to be here because you coming where I am. Hallelujah. You going to be with me. I'm with you now. And one of these days when your eyes close or if you tarry till the Lord comes back, you will be with him. God with us now us with him later and so we indeed my brothers and sisters tonight celebrate 
a born king, one who did not just pop in for a visit, but came to stay. He came to seek and to save the lost. We celebrate his birth as a king who came to be with his people. And the songwriter captures this true mission of our king when he writes these important words. In the song, Hark the Herald, he says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus are Emmanuel. Hark the herald, angels sing glory to the newborn king. Come on, let's celebrate the Lord in this place tonight.